Role-playing games are full of knights with shining swords. Huzzah! Wizards with power surging through their fingers. And all manner of heroes with incredible powers. Ready to ride out to face the evils and challenges of a high fantasy world. Head on. This, this is the book for the other guys. The Adequate Commoner. The first, the only gaming book for playing a commoner or low-powered character in Pathfinder. Adding more tactical thinking, tension, and encouraging a guerrilla warfare approach to gameplay. The 130-page book provides an overview and unexpected use for existing material, in addition to providing expanded options for any character. Do more with less, never fight fair, and survive and thrive in a world that expects you to fail. Your characters will level, you'll level as a player, and you'll never have a better, more challenging time rolling dice. Oh yeah. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the players at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I am Dungeon Master Mitch. And today, we have a very special guest coming to join really us. Really excited uh, about you, this. You have heard him before. Uh, he has graced us with the amazing pleasure of his voice uh, in a past episode. And it scared us all half to death, so he hasn't <laughs> been on here for a while. But he is J.M. Perkins, and yeah. he talked to us the last time about survivalist and horror gaming. And this time, he is going to be talking to us about his newest book and something that's near and dear to his heart, Commoners. So sit back, relax, get strapped in. There's many halfling jokes. There's many cat jokes. There's many uh, <laughs> random... it all away, Chris. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Just, you know, hey, I, well... it's called it's called foreshadowing. <laughs> Who knows? I'll probably name this episode something to do with catastrophe or something. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, like, uh, and really just we want to give a special, like, plug for him because he was so awesome. We had... I think what three times was this the third time, Chris, this that we tried to record time, with him, yeah. and we finally yeah. got it right. But we just had so many technical difficulties before. But he was just a trooper, and he just was able to reschedule this a couple times. So we just really, really, it's awesome to have him here. And the episode we have coming up is just fantastic. Yeah. And so before we get into the story time that he brings and the meat that he brings, we have a couple of iTunes five star review shout outs to yes, do. Yes, we do. And so the first one comes from Xavier Knight. 1960. Says great ideas for any DM. Five stars. Just started listening to the podcast last week. Love the format and ideas. I have DM'd for the Living Greyhawk campaign and am now starting to write my own adventures. Keep up the great work. Yes, same right back at you. Keep up the great work because you make your campaigns worth playing in for players. So keep up the great work. Our next one comes from Signal Zach, and it's entitled A Whole New World. <laughs> Insert that song right yeah, here. Yeah, cue, cue the Aladdin song. <laughs> cue music. A whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. 
hold your breath just gets better. He says, you guys have been an amazing inspiration to me in becoming a new DM. Thanks. Yeah. I've always been just a player up until recently. However, I have always been huge into writing and creating new worlds for the characters and people I create. And I cannot even begin to express how amazing of an influence your podcast has been in honing my worlds and characters in practical ways so that I can funnel them into a campaign. I am currently working on it, and it is all because of the equal influence of the great friends I have with me who love D&D and the vast amount of information and fun of your podcast. Shine on, and may Heronius continue to guide your podcast upon the holy path it strides. Peace out, dudes. Dudes or dodes, however dude, he wants dudes. to say. Dudes. Hey, thank you, dude. We appreciate that. That's an awesome review. Thank you so much, Signal Zach. Hey, thank you. Uh, our next one comes from Mr. D.M. Tucker. Uh, he writes, cool guys, awesome podcast, five stars. He writes, this is my first and only podcast I've ever listened to. And it would be hard for another to top this. Thank you very much. We could stop there and it'd be a good review. Right. <laughs> uh, as a new DM, these guys have given me tips, ideas, and confidence needed to create good games for my players. They answer all the right questions and do it in fun in a fun environment. They're also timely in answering my emails regarding personal questions about my campaign. Keep up the good work. So thank you very much, DM Tucker, yeah, for your thanks, review. Uh, we're glad that we're with the first podcast and only podcast you've ever listened to. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That is a honor, man. Our next one comes from hashtag DM of the Platinum Keep Heroes, and it's entitled Incredible Work. These guys provide a wealth of information and ideas for campaigns that is unrivaled anywhere on the net. They provide it in a clear and con uh, concise way. <laughs> of course, I mess up saying the word concise. <laughs> All right, I'm keeping that in there. <laughs> With their own flair and charisma and keeps it interesting. So addicted. Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you so much. Hashtag DM. That's awesome. I love the hashtag in the title. Chris, uh, you were with me the other day. We were podcasting and we were uh, laughing about how my wife has uh, <laughs> tried to put a hashtag on something. Oh my go gosh. It was like hashtag space, yeah. well, word, she, uh, space, she, word, <laughs> space. I was like, yeah. what? She tried, I think she, recently I saw two posts. And so this is the second post I saw where she like hashtag like something about our cat. Like it just snuggled up. And yeah, she did like hashtag space, one word space, another word space. And I just like said to her like, honey, you don't, you don't understand hashtags. I think it's really, really cute. Yeah, because in order for it to categorize it as something, it's it has to one, all be yeah. mashed together. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just. Hashtag space is what is being uh, categorized. So funny, as. so funny. She got mad at me for making fun of her about it, but yeah. <laughs> it was worth it. And now it's all over the internet. So, all right, with that, let's head to story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy Storytime. All right, so for Storytime today, we have J.M. Perkins with us here. And as we are going to be talking about commoners and his new source book, The Adequate Commoner, uh, he's got a perfect story to share with us today. So, J.M., tell us about this story of yours about commoners. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, it was one of my playtests with the commoner material and with commoner characters. 
I've played with some really great guys, including uh, Rich Howard, who we've had on the show multiple times, awesome guy, um, and who, gosh, his level of knowledge about role-playing is incredible. So it was especially great to see him play a commoner and to get him, see him excited and treating the game in a new way that I really hadn't seen him do and play before. Sure. So uh, this story, it's one of my favorite intros for a campaign. It's uh, Paizo's Curse of the Crimson Throne. Um, it has a great intro. And basically, in this intro, there is a gangster called Graydon Lamb, I want to say. And uh, when you play, all your characters select a trait uh, related to how this gangster has hurt you personally. So it's possible that he framed you for a murder, or it's possible that he abducted your child or the child of someone you really care about. And it's just this really great, solid intro adventure to get the party together and to give them a compelling reason to do what they're doing. We twisted it, though, a little bit in that we made everyone commoners, hmm. which I thought worked really well for this setup because he's been hurting people. They're maybe not powerful sorcerers. They're just ordinary people. So you all get drawn together. All the players get drawn together, and they're told where Graydon Lamb is, and he kind of lives outside the law, so if he winds up dead, no one's going to really care about it. And this person... <laughs> you might uh, even be doing everybody a favor. Everyone's pretty sure you're going to be doing them a favor. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, it's a city campaign, so it's always that weird place of, like, well, we're going to break the law now. Are we going to get arrested for it? No, you're not going to get arrested for it. But so the story was is I had built them all different commoner characters um, that could do different things, um, looking at different capabilities. And then I set them loose, and I watched what happened. And the reason I bring this story, and the thing I love about this story, is all of them were so cautious and so inventive in their play. <laughs> like, again, a ro normal play, the rogue would have done, like, I don't know, five minutes of scouting. They scouted out this guy's place for, like, 40 minutes of playtime and, like, four days game time, right? <laughs> um, and they had a great time doing it. It could have been, it could have been very – but they, they were arguing about tactics and really getting into it, super engaged. They had this legitimate fear of maybe not succeeding. Long story short, and kind of the payoff is they do all this prep work. They keep moving along as a GM. They do all of this, oh, can we do it that way? Then we can go that way. Great. They're, they're really having a great time. And when it finally comes time, what they do is they set up in an alley, and they have their gnome character, who they've disguised as a child, um, <laughs> walk by, Perfect. Yeah, walk by this, the gangster's hideout, um, where there's two guards posted outside, and throw a rock and make an obscene gesture at one of the guards and then run away. <laughs> so, of course, the guard chases this gnome, this child, who's a gnome, into the alley. And, of course, they got to time it this right because they, they can't run the gnome, right? So they have to make sure the distances are all right so that the, the gnome doesn't get tackled. Um, but they get they get tackled. They're all ready with an action. They all shoot this, this low-level thug, and they down him instantly. And their level of surprise and delight that they had been so effective um, as commoners, it was just, it was such a great payoff. Because they, they took him down in, you know, one round, he didn't even get a chance to do anything. Um, and they're like, oh my gosh, like, we killed him. And I'm like, yes, you killed him. Because four people fired crossbubbles at him before he had a chance to do anything. And that payoff of them realizing, like, oh, okay, yeah, we're commoners, so we're not as good. But if we catch people unaware or we really stack our advantages, we can be effective that click of them figuring out this is what the game could be uh, was great. And then from there, they had this whole adventure. Goodness, they, they had tons of bumbles. They got, they got hurt. They, they did amazing things. Um, but that, 
one moment of the surprise and delight about their plan worked, and they were actually able to very seemingly very easily kill uh, you know this this huge threat they'd made in their mind. Uh, that for me was the the best part of that play session. That's awesome. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so that was with uh, Rich Howard, and like I said, um, if you guys have never checked it out. I highly recommend um, Paizo's Curse of the Crimson Throne. It is one of the best like intros for uh, a campaign, giving the players reasons to play with each other and just how it's set up. It's great. Awesome. Hey, thanks for sharing that story with us. It works so perfectly with what we're about to talk about. Yeah, go figure. <laughs> with that, let's head right into that. Let's go to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. <laughs> So we are for the meet today going to be talking about everything commoners and for that we have JM Perkins back on the show. Hey JM, how's it going? It's going real well. Uh, thank you again for having me, guys. This is always a blast and uh, actually an honor. Yeah, welcome back. Always a pleasure. Well, when we're talking about commoners, you're the guy that knows everything about <laughs> commoners, so I, that's why we invited you. I am literally the guy who wrote the book about commoners at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is basically just a book about life, right? <laughs> Since we are all commoners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's for people who don't want any adventure at all. You know, you just... It's 100 <laughs> yes. pages of... It's 100 pages of very detailed farm information from the late medieval period. Yeah, right. Didn't you learn in school that everybody is special? We're not all special. <laughs> yeah, and then, We're all special. And then I started getting participation trophies, and I, and I saw everybody have participation <laughs> trophies and decided that I didn't want to be like everybody else. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, these uh, participation trophies are really cool. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you rebelled against participation? Yeah, pretty much. That, that's, that's, why I, well, that's why I didn't do my homework in high school. I, Did you get a special not part? I didn't participate trophy? Good try. That the good try cool. award is what I get. Ironically, the non-participation trophy is much more large and impressive than the participation trophy. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's like, dang it, this kid figured this out. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, but yeah, like you heard at the beginning of the episode with that little blurb, uh, we have JM on the show and he's written a new source book for 3.5 and Pathfinder. And it's all about commoners and making a story built around commoners. So uh, today that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we jump into to that jm so it's been a little while since we've had yeah. you on the show uh mostly because uh, i think you scared everybody with your stories <laughs> last time of uh, <laughs> apocalyptic world and horror stories and so we wanted to give everybody a little bit of a break <laughs> from being frightened from you <laughs> no but uh so it's been a little while since you've been on so what's been going on like i know you've gone through some changes since you've been on why don't you tell us a little bit oh, about yeah. that um so uh biggest change of course is adequate commoner came out um it was a lot of work finishing that up but i'm really proud of the end result um my publisher did an amazing job with the layout and with the art acquisition and i'm, I'm really happy with that book so i've been doing some promotion for it you know i started a website um for you know kind of the material that didn't make it into the book and just other related work i was doing for the adequate adventure is what i'm calling that one um and then of course i've been running uh full steam with the salt and moon setting which is that setting built around they couldn't kill the Tarrasque so they bound it and then they've been butchering it for the past 200 years and eating it <laughs> yeah right. I remember that yeah story yeah well. um, and that's been really popular and really fun I actually uh, 
a couple days before this, we're recording this, I actually did the actual math about what kind of population a terrasque could sustain if that's all they were eating. <laughs> um, and given that how quickly it regenerates, it's a couple million people. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll send you a link for that article, but it was really... Yeah, I saw that came out, but I haven't, re- I haven't gotten around to reading that one yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a blast um, just doing that math. Uh, it, you know, that's kind of like the supremely geeky activity that, uh, man, it just, it warms my heart. <laughs> uh, things that most people don't understand <laughs> why we would, like, take the time to do something like that, but it makes so much sense oh, to yeah. us. <laughs> um, and then uh, a couple random assignments, the biggest of which is I'm doing a book about uh, playing werebears for Misfit Studios. That's going to be cool. We'll have to have you on for that. That would be a really cool uh, look at just where a whole werebear-centric episode. That'd oh, I'd love fantastic. to do that. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> I'm deep in this, so I'm like utterly fascinated by the, the play possibilities and what these characters, I think they'd actually be like. So we'll uh, put all those kind of links into the show notes so you can go and check out some of JM's stuff. And we'll, sh- we'll link it in the show notes that you can go and Check out where you can get the adequate commoner. Uh, it is fantastic. Chris and me have both uh, looked it through and just love it and love the ideas behind it. Before we jump into talking about uh, commoners and the adequate commoner, uh, I have one last question for you, Please. JM, that is pertinent to this episode. <laughs> so if you were living in a fantasy land, JM, and you were a commoner, what would be the greatest fear that as a commoner you had my greatest fear as a commoner um it it depends on how much i know about monsters i think my greatest fear would be not like a giant dragon but just um shades because they can go through walls they can kill people in their sleep um everyone they kill becomes a new shade so it just takes one shade for your entire country to really quickly become shade country i think we talked about that in the last yeah. episode that we had you on we talked about how shades is just like yeah a whole city could just turn to shades in no time yeah exactly <laughs> um yeah, yeah it, it, knowing what i know from like the the game designer's perspective that's yeah that's the the world breaking apocalypse that i would most fear mm. <laughs> you know i just picture little commoner jm in his bed <laughs> with his mom reading a reading him a story and just kind of like the boogeyman of like the fantasy commoner world, like talking about shades and little James like, I won't be a bad boy. I don't want the shades to come. Well, that's the thing. It's the scare tactic. <laughs> with, yeah. with the dragon, you know, maybe you'll get lucky with a crocodile boat and crit, you know, you, you have, yeah. you have a chance. Shade, you got a chance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that would keep me up at night as a commoner. Um, and of course I was going to ask you guys, like what class do you guys think you would be? as individuals in uh, like a D&D setting. And of course, I, there's a class I prefer, but I'd probably end up being a commoner. It's just the way it goes. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm like, I'm looking through the different jobs and stuff as you were talking about this, and there's so many fun jobs that you could be as a commoner oh, yeah. like, mm-hmm. that you put in there. I was like, like there's a mason. I was, I've done masonry work. <laughs> I would not want to be that in this <laughs> right? world because I know how torturous it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, but, yeah, I, I, commoners would be so much fun to be, uh, to have a part of and, and be in a world. I think those would be great. I just want to be a shopkeeper for, like, a fancy magical shop just in case 
just in case something comes to town, I can be like, all right, well, let me grab this really. Oh, I work in a high-end shop, hopefully. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though I just sweep the floors, I can grab something and go, all right, <laughs> this is a powerful weapon. Maybe I can do something exactly. with this. <laughs> all right, so let's start talking about the adequate commoner and just commoners. So I guess the, the place that I would start um, is in thinking about writing this book. Um, and just to give you a little background. So this book kind of came about because, of course, um, in Pathfinder and 3.5, there's so much great material that there are these you know, optimization guides. Right, um, which you yep. know can get a bad name because no one wants to be a min maxer. But I think they're really important because there's so much great material and so many options it can be very overwhelming. So especially for like a new player trying to understand like what to do, optimization guides for your wizard or your cleric are great. And kind of as a funny joke, I thought it would be interesting. Oh, I should write an optimization guide for commoners. Haha, very funny, right? <laughs> um, and so I started doing that and. Then I started really looking at, okay, so they don't have class abilities, but, oh, they could do this, and, oh, there's this other thing they could do. And really started getting in, more into it. Um, then I started thinking about, you know, kind of the rules common people had played um, in history. You know, most armies were not professional soldiers. They were just conscript right, farmers. Yeah. Um, you know, traditionally, like, ninja were not these black-clad assassins, at least early on. Um, they were ordinary people that were tired of getting the crap kicked out of them by the samurai. Um, and so they, <laughs> they cheated in their fighting, but they found a way to be effective warriors um, where they otherwise might not be. So I, I started realizing, oh my gosh, there's so much material here. I wanted to contrast that with kind of the place commoners usually have in games, right? So I feel like from a game design perspective, the, the commoner class was just kind of a placeholder for what an ordinary person would be, right? Like, not everyone in the village is a warrior, uh, so what are they? Well, they're commoners. Well, what, what can a commoner do if I try to cast charm on one? What, what will save <laughs> am, I, am I fighting? And so, you know, we have these stats for just everyone else. Um, and when you're designing that, you want to make sure the heroes feel suitably epic. You know, even first level, you want to sense, okay, here are the heroes, and here's everybody else. And there's a, there's a big distinction between that. Yeah, there's the word heroes in their name for a reason. They should feel like heroes. Oh, exactly. Not like I walk into a shop as a fighter, and the guy behind the counter could beat me up if he needed to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Dungeons & Dragons, that's such a strong like feeling of we are epic, even in the sense of like the amount of gold. Because as, as an adventurer, you go out and you find a treasure chest, and you go into town, you flip somebody one gold coin, and that's like... Dude, we don't make this in like oh, a month when yeah. they're working, and they just they would freak out about that like mm-hmm. a commoner. So there is definitely that strong feeling. <laughs> well, and uh, just to jump forward just a tiny bit, uh, that the fact that adventurers make so much more money than commoners, uh, I thought was a great um, motivation for commoners, even if they had really bad odds to maybe start going on adventures. Just because, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, you don't have the best odds to go in that dungeon and, and fight those skeletons and, and see if you can find a chest but if you pull that off you've won the commoner lottery right like you are potentially set for the rest of your life except for you had to put a lot more work in than putting a dollar on a <laughs> exactly. ticket exactly and a lot more dangerous oh. but yeah it's like hitting the lottery as a commoner you walk in you walk out with 800 even 800 gold which seems so petty to us they would have played like level 12 or 15 or even 20 level campaigns it's like 800 gold that person would be stinking set for life. Oh. You know, that that would be amazing. Well, Definitely. I feel like the story behind why uh, someone would go into a dungeon with a commoner can be so much 
like it can be profound for a epic hero in a Dungeons and Dragons game, but quite often, like uh, we're going into a dungeon. Well, why? Well, because there's cool stuff inside and we'll get gold and be able to buy more cool stuff. But like for a commoner, for them to like go into a dungeon with, like you said, like skeletons and like orcs and for, you know, forget about it. Ogres even like they they have to have some sort of extreme motivation, I would believe, like a father with a dying daughter that's you know the only way to save her is to go to the clerics and pay them an astronomical amount of gold or uh to the wizards for some magical kind of healing and what what forces those commoners to go it would it would be some crazy purpose that they need and would add so much to the story oh definitely and i think that touches upon the biggest thing I want to do differently in the adequate commoner than how commoners are normally treated is really look at how do ordinary people live and operate in the high fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that always bothered me, of course, is as the heroes, you always go to the village and then you're tasked with the thing that's going to save the village. And that's fine. Yep. You're the hero. <laughs> um, that's kind of your role. Makes sense. But what always bothered me is it often felt like the commoners, the village was not doing anything before you got there. <laughs> they were just kind of like sitting around and yeah. allowing the uh, winter wolf to pick them off. Looking or what at their sundial watches. Like, <laughs> when are these heroes Board, showing Boarding up? <laughs> up their house every single I, night. So I really hope some in. heroes show up because I'm really tired of the kobolds <laughs> murdering us, but oh yeah. well. Um, and don't get me wrong. They might not be going out and, uh, you know, charging the kobold camp. Yeah. But they aren't just sitting around doing nothing. I think all of them are not just sitting around doing nothing, by and large. And then some of them are actually being much more active. And if they choose to be active, you know, what what are the things that commoners can actually do? And as I mentioned earlier, if we look at history, most wars were not fought primarily with, you know, uh, the PC classes, for lack of a better term. Yeah. These are these are really exceptional individuals um, that really stand out, and that we love to tell stories about them. But most of the fighting and dying throughout history has been conscript farmers you know with just a little bit of training maybe some equipment if they're lucky but really (laughs) just these massive waves of you know poorly trained maybe not well equipped people that are expected to you know prosecute this war well i imagine some of those guys they're like running out with like pitchforks obviously the classic like mob mentality you see pitchforks but i imagine some people were like uh i don't have anything but a shovel oh yeah (laughs) or like or like a i have a hoe so I could hit somebody with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what I imagine with, as some of the rabble who are running around. Or even for those who are put into the army by force, like having that sword or gun, depending on the error, like uh, placed into your hand for the first time. I've never held one of these before. I've never used one of these before. <laughs> Just like the thoughts and that go through their head at the time. Oh, yeah. And so you have all of these for lack of a better term, commoner soldiers, and a lot of them are dying, a lot of them are dying, you know, not without being able to do much, but some of them are actually rising through the ranks and becoming extremely competent, you know, despite their origins. And again, looking historically, you know, some of the quote-unquote coolest weapons um, and some of the most effective weapons are actually modified farm equipment. Um, Hmm. That's the case for a lot of the pole arms. You know, they brought their pitchfork and they modified it in a certain way. They brought their their pruning uh, saw. And they, they modified it, and then that became a very uh, advanced weapon design. Um, again, famously, the um, like ninja weapons, right? Like the Kasuragama. Yeah. You know, that's, that blade is for harvesting wheat. 
and they huh. attached a chain to it to try to wrap up swords because they couldn't beat the sword fighters. So they had to have a way to um, compensate for that advantage. And now, you know, we just think they're all exotic and cool, but that was literally people using the tools they had available to, to be effective. And with the ninja example, I think one of the most interesting things about looking at commoners from like a game design player perspective or a play perspective is when you're playing against uh, the expected roles, you're not a fighter, you're not a wizard, but you're still going to operate in this way, you're really looking at ways in which you can, um, for lack of a better word, cheat to do the <laughs> things you're not supposed to do, quote-unquote, that still are, are fair according to game rules, but can give you an advantage because you have to take advantages wherever you can find them. The other thing, too, that I don't think gets talked about at all in d well, I shouldn't say at all, uh, is very often overlooked in D&D, but very much was an artifact of history, is there were multiple uh, peasant and slave revolts throughout history. And these are compelling, interesting stories. You know, there's there's great issue of moral dilemma, but they generally don't get told if you're telling stories around these, you know, the prophesied warriors and heroes that are just better trained and better equipped than everyone else. Uh, and I thought that was an amazing aspect of storytelling potential based on actual history that just wasn't really, you know, presented in, in a lot of D&D. Well, and I just imagine, too, like, I, I love the idea of a slave or a peasant revolt because I think of, when you think of the armies, when you think of modern-day movies of, medieval, you know, portraying medieval battles, there's, like, hundreds of thousands of soldiers, you know, clad in, like, this great steel armor and, you know, swords all over the place. But that probably wasn't the case no. uh, because... The population of the world wasn't that big for a really, really long time. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I imagine that there's like maybe in a city, there's a couple, you know, couple hundred of these warriors that we you know in this walled city or whatever. And then you have a couple thousand like peasant farmers living outside because they all have to provide for themselves. They all have kids because they have to have a big enough farm to provide for everybody that's in the city and things like that. And it's like, you know, we, we talk in D&D &D of like, okay, we have to start, we, you know, we need to sabotage as warriors or as fighters, get all the fighters together and overthrow the king. And it's like, you know, you might not be able to do that, but if you're a peasant, you have a heck of a lot more potential to overthrow a city or a king, and you can spread rumors throughout all the peasants and things like that. And you would think it would be a little bit easier because you probably are being oppressed in some way, shape, or form, and you get enough people together to take your pitchforks or whatever, and you're going to be able to do a lot of damage against... Uh, the city or, or the kingdom even, whatever you're fighting against. Oh, definitely, definitely. And that, I think, is kind of the meta issue that I'm always working with, is this idea that ordinary people have efficacy, right? Uh, they had efficacy historically, where if you had an abusive relationship with your lord, um, it was possible for your you to perform a, su a successful revolt or revolution. Um, very difficult, but that was that was right. definitely one of the, the checks and balances to power. Um, and in the game world, if you are under siege by a horrible monster, or again, you have an abusive relationship with your, your the aristocrats, you as a commoner would have efficacy and have options. And certainly there might be better, people better equipped for it. And if you can enlist those people, that's a better survival strategy, for sure, for sure. sure. But maybe that's not an option for you. So switching gears from like kind of the historical look at commoners to um, just what they, what they are in terms of crunch, you know, uh, rules as written. So the Pathfinder commoner is a little bit better than the 3.5 commoner. And, of course, you have these ridiculous situations where to balance things, like a first-level commoner would probably lose to a house cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and, again, it's just one of those wacky things about rules, right, where 
Probably that's not going to happen in real life. Maybe. Maybe it's a really, really tough and mean cat. <laughs> hey, maybe you're allergic to a cat. You get scratched, that's... and that's the way you die. <laughs> maybe like maybe that's damage. why. <laughs> yeah. Damn allergic damage. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Allergic damage oh, is the new thing. Um, now I just want to like stat out like a house cat monster that everyone's yes. allergic to. So it has this terrible <laughs> danger. What is it about us and cats when you're on? We I had don't... the crazy cat lady last time. I don't know. <laughs> now we have like <laughs> boss level cat for boss like level cat. boss level dire house cat <laughs> boss level ha yeah the dire house cat it has a dander attack that everyone's allergic to oh this is fantastic it, well this is jm's secret agenda every time he comes on here like in super troopers right. they said meow all the time <laughs> jm is just specifically trying to see how many times we can talk about cats he and he's either, secretly going back to yeah. his friends and being like got 26 that time. i'm to talk about yeah, it 26 it's like he's times. got a bet going on <laughs> well <laughs> see i wonder does he love cats and he just wants people to put cats into their D and rpg games or does he hate cats and he wants people to just kill cats even if it's an imaginary like world well this, I don't know. this is probably a good time as any to announce my cat lady rpg where everyone plays a different <laughs> class of cat lady <laughs> that'd be fantastic <laughs> all right four times we're up to four times we'll now, link to that episode. in the show notes <laughs> <laughs> i just see jm like if he ever made an online dating profile being the uh equivalent of the cat girl do you remember that video where <laughs> no. she just started crying she started talking about herself and then started talking about all the cats i do loved, remember that video like i just love them all and i want to just squeeze them i just see jm being that guy <laughs> uh, okay so apparently like i didn't think i was in love with cats i've never owned a cat um but apparently like there's something in my subconscious I, I i'm just a cat man waiting to happen <laughs> Crazy cat. Yeah, now I feel like there's a challenge put into our like laps that if you like, not if, when you come back on in the future, you gotta work in cats some way. <laughs> we have to figure out some way to work every, in cats. Every time every we'll time. go back and listen and edit it, and whenever there's the cat noise, we'll put in like a meow counter. There you go. And then at the end, we'll announce how many we got. <laughs> All right. Oh, <laughs> getting back to it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the the commenter is just like what they are rules is written. Um, maybe a cat can beat them. They have a proficiency with a single weapon. The one thing that's interesting, though, is at lower level, there's actually not... There is a difference, but there's not as much a difference between a commoner and a PC class as people think, right? Um, the power differential just isn't that big. So in, um, in Pathfinder, it's a D6 versus um, a you know D10 for a fighter would probably be the closest um, comparison. And, yeah. you know, you, you don't have all the... Fighter's weapon proficiencies, but you're only using one weapon probably anyway, so that's not as big a deal. And uh, you know, fighter doesn't have any magic; you don't have any magic. So a couple a couple commoners played well could easily overwhelm uh, a fighter. And <laughs> it's a lot about who goes first, right? Because even even in a fighter, you can't soak up that many hits. A couple things I did in the book um, with the commoner crunch I just want to mention real quick is so most of the book is built on this concept of here's what commoners would be like if they are imbalanced to PC classes. But I also like this idea of, okay, what, what are some commoner concepts that would stay true to the spirit, but actually be kind of balanced with the PC classes? Um, and so the ideas that I came up with um, were the mythic commoner, because in Pathfinder, there's all these rules for um, a mythic power source. And it was interesting to have that layer to the commoner, but still keep the commoner stats. It ends up being some a class that's very much balanced with the PC classes, but operates really differently. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, the other thing, too, I came up with is the gear hero commoner, which is just that if you have way, way more money than anybody else, you can balance with them. 
um, because especially with 3.5 Pathfinder, there's so much material. Nearly anything you want a character to do, um, they can you can find a way to do that with a magic item. So if you just have access to way more magic items um, or gold than you know your other party members, you can be a commoner and stay true to that concept, but still have a really interesting playstyle with about the same power. And then the the other concept I came up with, uh, just looking at the crunch, is the high like race point commoner. And race point is a way of tracking basically how strong the different races are to one another. So hmm. you can be a commoner, but if you're this half dragon crazy person, um, <laughs> you potentially, at least er in early levels, um, will be balanced with the other party members. And so I thought that was interesting, too, is a way of, if you ever have a player, um, or as a player, you ever want to play a really weird race um, and you're, that's really powerful, and your GM is worried that that will unbalance the game, is you can do that and be a commoner, and you'll be about the power that you need to be, but have a completely different kind of play experience. That'd be really cool. Like, I'm just imagining, like, a group of adventurers needing some extra muscle and looking over at, like, a field, like, that's being farmed, and instead of a oxen pulling a uh, plow, there's, like, a commoner minotaur yeah. that's like you know ha doesn't want to be a monster but like he's not widely accepted in the world mm -hmm. and he's found this like really low paying job but he's just like he's working out in the fields and being like ah oh, that guy oh yeah <laughs> he could <laughs> he could help us with what we need and right just like that would be a great pc to play the commoner minotaur whatever his name is oh yeah very much so um and you can you can get crazy with it and that's the other thing too as looking at commoners is because in D&D &D and Pathfinder there's power can come from multiple different sources like it can come from your gear it can come from the mythic mm -hmm. source or it can come from yeah. you know racial abilities that you have there's different ways to make an effective character besides just oh I'm a fighter and I'm going to get really good at fighting or I'm a wizard and I'm going to get really good at casting spells not least of which of course is being very smart about the rules and and playing very tactically I uh, I really liked what you said even earlier on about like how uh, commoners, if they are put into situations that heroes are put into, like hero PCs that we normally think of, the regular classes, a commoner is going to have to think differently. <laughs> like with those kobolds attacking the town, well, they, they're not going to just not be doing anything. But unlike a regular D&D game where it's like, oh, the kobolds are attacking the town, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go, we're going to step outside, we're going to say, come and get me, kobolds, and we're going to kill all the kobolds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, in, with, like, commoners, they're going... I like, I like that idea so much because it just... It would make the players think, okay, we are not really suited to be able to fight these things, so how do we do this? How do we give ourselves an advantage? Do we build a wall that we can, like, throw things down on them at? Like, it makes it so there's so much more out-of-the-box thinking and in tactics and, like, maybe creating distractions, like, all these kind of things that normally, I know sometimes, uh, a, like, players do this and I, I pride myself on trying to think about some giving an edge in combat because I get uh, tired with the old like drop a board we talked about this in a recent podcast of just drop the map down and it's just a grid yep. and having nothing mm -hmm. else but like the enemies and you across and just attacking each other but normally that's really what I think a lot of 
D and D players and DMs do yep. with their battles. Mm-hmm. But with a commoner situation, you're not going to want to just have yourself be dropped down with the enemies on one side of the map and you on the other. You're going to want to think about it and role play some advantages. I think you hit the head, a nail right on the head. And I, I think this doesn't have to be commoners, but just so often this is what happens. Standard play, just like you said, the GM or the publisher has designed an interesting encounter, right? And yeah. the weirdness of that encounter, the advantages or disadvantages, that's already baked in. And so yep. it's up to the players to find usually a way to overcome the disadvantages using their awesome powers. <laughs> Commoner yep. play, in general, goes the other way, where it's the players designing the scenario and the terrain and choosing how they'll go about solving this channel, as opposed to the GM or the publisher choosing for them. And what's really cool is, if you play that way with commoners, which is really compelling, you can play that way with any character. It's just that people yeah. don't. And then that allows you to up the challenge, maybe, to throw more than potentially they'd be able to handle. But having that mindset of, oh, we can we can find advantages, we can choose our ground, um, we, can, we can be very tricky and very tactical about our approach, um, really, I think, can create a huge sense of engagement as opposed to, well, this is the map, take it. Absolutely. And I think it's important to note that if if you, you know, we have mostly dungeon masters, game masters listening to our podcast. Well, if this is something that sounds interesting to you and you want to run a game with commoners, like make sure that when your players are thinking outside of the box and trying to come up with like interesting ways to get a little bit of an edge on their enemy, make sure to to reward that and, right. and encourage that and make that part of your game in general. Even if like you need to at the beginning of the game, like may, you know, I've, I know some players might just sit at the table and be like, I don't know how the heck we can take this. We're just going to die. We're going to die. Encourage them. Don't just sit there and like, let them be disheartened. Encourage them and be like, well, maybe there's something you can think about, like to be able to help your you in this battle. Like, is there any way to give you an edge in this battle? Like, oh. role play through that and encourage it at the table for sure. Oh, definitely. And I I include some ideas in the adequate commenter, but you're absolutely right. It's mm-hmm. it's a two way street. On the one hand, the players have to have buy-in, like, okay, we're at a disadvantage, mm-hmm. but we're going to be clever and creative and we're going to try things, and maybe some of it will work, maybe some won't, but that's how we're going to yeah. approach play. Um, and the GM has to be like, okay, maybe I saw this going a different way, but have that flexibility <laughs> to, uh, to you know, work with the players to, to figure out what advantages they could gain. Especially if they're, if they're in, like, their own city or something like that. you got to figure, you're a commoner, you know the ins yeah. and outs yeah. of this whole, I mean... You know where there's a you know you know where there's a storeroom underneath a business that you could run into you know may bottleneck the people in there so you're fighting them one at a time as they come out of the doorway I mean you you gotta figure they know things like that to help turn the tide of whatever it is they're doing oh that's such a great now. point Chris I feel like the the idea of like adventures is we don't stay in one place at a time but then with a commoner it can very much be i've never i've literally never left this town my entire life oh yeah but instead of that being a deterrent like you were saying chris that could be like something that gives them that edge like no i've been in the city this little town my entire life i know every in and out every back door every alleyway i know everything about this town yeah use it towards that advantage oh yeah well and and this speaks to, I think, what um, 
the other really great use of it, of course, the kind of basic assumption we're, we're having for this talk is, you know, if maybe there's ways you can make interesting Commodore PCs and interesting things you can do with the PCs. But I think this also speaks to the other side, which is here's how you can make Commodore NPCs interesting, right? Um, here's how you can have um, a village under siege that doesn't look like every other village you've seen under siege, because it's commoners defending it. Um, and it's commoners dealing with these with these problems, and their approach can be great because it can be very interesting, very different, and also their approach can help teach better tactics to the traditional classes, right? Because they're seeing, oh, here's how a commoner village is defending it to themselves. We have all these abilities. We can take these same tactics and do even more with yeah. them. But like I said, I think you just hit the nail right on the head of it's a different play style, and you need buy-in from both the GM and from the players. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that leads right to, uh, to the next point of there's basically two ways to do like a commoner game, right? And I, I think both are equally valid and both can be very compelling, um, and they're a little bit different. Um, one is is that you can literally just scale down the adventure, right? So commoners have their CR level. I think it's one third. Um, yeah, I think one that's third. right. You can just like literally throw less at them, <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, they can play just like normal adventurers, but because they're fighting one rat instead of Five um, at first <laughs> level, it, it works out perfectly. And uh, there's a famous example which I encourage everyone to look up called Joe Wood, which was just a guy did a single-player commoner campaign with a friend, um, and it was scaled down perfectly for Joe Wood, and it was super compelling, hmm. right? Because Joe Wood, I mean, he was only fighting a rat, but it was a life and death fight <laughs> for him, and uh, um, and just he's allergic yeah. to rats, of course. <laughs> that's why it was life and death. You know, you gotta on. worry about those allergies. <laughs> um, so I think that's totally valid. The other way to do it, of course, is you don't rescale an adventure, right? You you leave it at the challenge level you'd expect for adventurers, and then you really rely on your players getting creative. Yeah, um, That's the one I lean towards more, um, just because maybe I'm sadistic, I don't know, <laughs> um, as a GM. But uh, but no, I think each, both are equally valid, and you, know, you can run with both. The other big thing, too, and this does not happen in ordinary play, and there, there are some reasons for this, I think with commoners, one of the really interesting things is you got to run away. You got to know when to run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, what's interesting about that is a lot of times in um, kind of the rules as written, it's very hard to run away because the things that are chasing you kind of run as fast <laughs> as you do, right? Yep. So you can, you can, as a GM, obviously you can make them be bored, right? The, the monsters are just bored. They get tired of chasing these guys. <laughs> they wander off. Um, you can make it that uh, they have a bigger problem, right? They have some other compelling goal, so they don't have all day to spend chasing these guys down. But as players, I think it's interesting to always have an exit strategy, right? Like, you don't go into a fight without knowing how you're going to get away. And so that's things like putting down caltrops or, um, you know, ha having like a rope bridge set up yeah. or some kind of climbing bag rope. of marbles. So you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the, the tools that so often aren't used, but they're really interesting and compelling. Um, and and that goes to, you know, terrain control, right? So you use marbles and caltrops not only to give yourself an exit strategy, but also you don't have spells like, um, in, what is it, entanglement? Yep. Entanglement, entanglement yeah. yeah. But you can still control the terrain by, you know, on a mundane level, just digging things up, building mm -hmm. simple walls or trenches, but also really quickly just putting down caltrops, putting down marbles. So you get that same sense of controlling the zone. It just takes a lot more work and a lot more foresight. Yeah, you have to do prep work, which is not the normal case for a fighter who just wants to kill exactly. everything in sight and just kicks down the door mm -hmm. and runs in. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, normally it's like, okay, we're going to have the rogue do a little bit of scouting, but we don't really, like, that's kind of lame for the rest of us because <laughs> we want to get into it. Um, this right. is like, no, 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 we're all, well, 
we're going to scout as much as humanly possible and take as much time before the fight even happens. I feel so bad for, I got to say, with the whole idea of like, sometimes as a commoner, you just have to run away. I feel so bad for the race races as in like the halfling commoners because I just know like that in in like uh, our game that we just finished up, like our actual game, Chris played a halfling. And Chris, how many times were there like, times where we'd start at the one side of the map and then the other guys would run up and attack things and it'd take you like so much longer because you're half like to run Too over many. it like half the <laughs> half the time yeah. they would be dead we'd, by like, the time i got there i was the like or, the running in and attacking things you'd like get up to it and be like it's dead and <laughs> he's like yeah. he's like i charge it and i'm like sweet you can get there by charging it he's not in my charge yet so i can't charge uh. i have to move 60 feet at least to get there and then i can do it next turn and by that time the arrows have already shot him the swords have already hit him the magic's already hit him and i'm like hey, and i'm just thinking those, those poor little halflings like they have to really think ahead and really have some tricks up their sleeves because a lot of the times a lot of things run even faster than they do yeah the common joke for commoners is oh yeah. quick if there's you a don't have to run exactly. faster than the bear you just have to run faster than the halfling running from faster the bear than the halfling. <laughs> you know we talked about caltrops and rope and stuff but that's the basic exit strategy is just run faster than the halfling yeah. and the owlbear will get yeah, distracted yeah. well the caltrops are for <laughs> the halfling that's what they're oh, for just bait poor <laughs> halflings <laughs> Was that the line? Did I cross? No, no, you did not. Oh, okay. oh gosh. <laughs> so, pro tip for all the players out there: as a commoner, set the caltrops. Just don't show the halfway, because yeah. yeah, they're probably going to run them anyway. But you really want to be sure that you're not the slowest person. Talk in the party. that one right, guy right. in the group into being a halfling, and you'll be set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, but perfect example: um, if you're playing the halfling in the game. You need to be more aware of your mobility with running away being an issue. Yeah. So being able to ride a pony might become a much, much bigger deal for you. Um, or rather, riding dog, right? Yeah. The, the other thing, too, I wanted to bring up with commoners is the victories can be so much sweeter because they weren't preordained. You know, I gosh, I don't like to lose, quote-unquote, <laughs> at role-playing. Although, again, it's more about having fun yeah. than like succeeding in some objective or whatever. But when I, when I win a fight as you know a summoner against a couple trolls or whatever. It's just kind of what I expect to happen, right? It meets my expectations. If I win a fight as a, in a group of commoners, it really does feel like an epic victory. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this yeah. was not something that necessarily was supposed to happen, but it did happen, and it happened because we were clever and we worked well together. And so I think that can, can really bring a sense of satisfaction to the, to the game. Also, the other thing, too, that I really like about this concept of playing commoners, all of your crazy, intricate min-max knowledge about like what gear is best at what gold price all the weird little <laughs> tweaks that you found about someone's racial ability and, and the weird tactics you put together as a commoner go nuts with that stuff <laughs> if you're playing um a not a rescaled adventure and you're a commoner min-max to your heart's content because you need every advantage yeah. that you can get <laughs> i i really feel like it's a great um opportunity if you have min-maxy players they can just go nuts like because they're never going to be at the PC level, even even a basic PC. And and they, it really allows you to pull from a ton of different source books, um, all the really like esoteric equipment to, to put together a character that can be effective. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just fun to play people who suck. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. 
And it's yeah. nice. It's nice because your sucking won't be because the dice hate you, right? Because there's that kind of sucking yes. where like. Oh yeah, I know it well. <laughs> do you guys ever see that uh, graphic? Maybe you can link it in the show notes. It's like five different types of uh, D and D stories. It's like man versus nature, man versus man, man versus self, uh, man oh, versus man versus yeah, self. and it's man versus the dice. dice is with the arrow coming <laughs> up. Oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Didn't see that. Yeah. I have seen that. And man yeah. versus a uh, GM. It's like <laughs> yeah. So you get to play someone who sucks, and it's not because the dice hate you. That's a great time to embrace the comedy that can be in a role playing game, and just oh, like yeah. like when you do like finish that battle. Just the idea of like your really sucky character, bloodied and beaten and like on the ground, and like he look he looks over and all his friends are bloodied and beaten, and his one guy that was like an inch away from death just kind of raises his fist in like victory, <laughs> like <laughs> we're alive, yeah. like but just embrace. And there's like that one and dead him, goblin, yeah, and make yeah, and there's and there's yeah. one dead cat <laughs> sitting in the room. <laughs> I just yeah, I was just gonna say I imagine like this dude like accidentally stepped on this like white cat or something and he gets into this epic fight and he comes he like he gets done he's just bloody he's like choking yeah. out the cat and then the wife walks in the house and he's just got claw marks all down his body and she's just like honey what Your did you PCs do enter into a room and they see the shadow of a large like feral like lion in the corner coming out and then it enters the light and it's a little house cat but like it like just embrace and then you say roll for initiative and they realize that it's scary enough as a house cat but like embracing that the our characters suck but like making it part of like a comedy aspect of the game to me just yeah. has such a strong appeal. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, because I have to mention cats apparently fifty <laughs> times an episode. Um, now I really want to create like the veterans of the Great Cat Wars, yes. where like there was a horrible war between cat and man. <laughs> We've lived in peace for a thousand years, oh, gosh. but now the cats are rising again. Here's my secret agenda. <laughs> You have yours about trying to get us to talk about cats. Our secret agenda is to get you to publish. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I am. I'm definitely gonna stat out uh, a dire house cat. Awesome. <laughs> That's fantastic. All Which right. is the size of whoever would have that as a pet, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's a dire house cat. I'm guessing it's about the size of a riding dog. So like really big for a cat, but like <laughs> not really that big. And it has a dander attack that everyone's uh, that everyone can be allergic to. Yes. I can do this. I feel like that would if if I play a commoner, I want that to be like my flaw is just I am allergic. Like I have allergies really bad to like everything around. Anything as with heroes, fur. you never hear of heroes having allergies. Right. Yeah, it's like you step outside. It's like oh darn grass. Come on. Something we touched on that actually plays into like the last time I was on the show is uh, again one of the really cool things. Uh, and we talked about this for survivalist or horror campaigns is playing commoners. The monsters get legitimately scary. Oh, yeah. Anything. Anything. Like, goblins are a legitimate threat to the village. There's reasons to be afraid of them. In a way that, you know, just it, it's harder, it's possible, but it's harder to do with players. I like this idea of all monsters are scary and kind of weird, as opposed to just, like, the monsters that are deliberately designed to be extra scary are scary. Because they're monsters. I think... I think they work better when they're scary. Yeah, it's true. Too often, like, players get a monster that, like, a, an ogre dropped in front of them, and they're just like, ah, oh, let's kill this sucker. And they yeah. there's not role-playing of, like, this thing is huge. It's, like, 10 feet taller than me. Like, I am 
uh, like super afraid that this thing could kill me. It's this sense of even like the people who aren't min maxers have this sense of, oh, we can take it. We can totally take it. And that's something that I think happens to the best of us is inevitably we develop a long list of expectations about gameplay. Yeah. Right. We expect, you know, this is how the classes work. This is how parties work. Um, this is how the game kind of works. Um, and it's just a rhythm. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that rhythm. Um, it, we do it for a reason because it's worked and it's really compelling. And by all means, whatever, whatever your desired rhythm as a GM or as a player, play that and have fun. That's the most important thing, right? But for me, it was so cool writing this book and, and playing some commoner games just to see all of those expectations people had about their characters, about the game yeah. world, about how they would operate, them letting all of those go. And really coming to the game with fresh eyes, I think, was one of the coolest things. Because who's played a commoner? Who's, who's tried to accomplish things um, when they didn't have class abilities? Who's really looked at you know, the alchemical equipment to find out, oh, well, here's something my commoner could make, and, and here's how I could use it for combat. And it's not just like, oh, it's an extra in case like I, I don't have anything else to do. But no, uh, using that as a main strategy. Yeah, the f idea of a commoner coming across like we talked about earlier, like a treasure chest of gold, like with with regular D&D, it's an everyday thing for the PCs and for the players. Like, it's just like, and you come across a chest with this much gold. Cool. We take it. <laughs> we divide it up. Cool. But as a as a commoner, like you should stop there and role play through that because it's going to be this miraculous moment of like, holy cow, I've never seen. It'd be like somebody like it'd be like finding in a cave just a briefcase full of money. <laughs> like oh, yeah. The, today. And it, we wouldn't just come across that and just be like, cool. Uh, we take it. We divide it up. No, it'd be it'd be a crazy thing. And with that, it wouldn't just be like a happy thing. It would be a thing of extreme paranoia of uh, how do we protect this and make sure that somebody else doesn't take it. It just adds so much. Oh yeah. With the level of we are just commoners. Well, and then there's the question of too, like when you get back, how do you spend that without letting people know that you all of a sudden yeah. came across all right. this money? Because you, you all of a sudden get like 8,000 gold. How are you like? How are you going to live normally with knowing that you have eight thousand gold? Because there's going to be things that you want to buy and things that you want to do, and you know, how do you not all of a sudden become that family member that everybody comes to because you know that you have money? <laughs> there, there is so much storytelling potential just by playing against kind of the expected tropes. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, you get eight thousand gold item, you can't sell it. Now, how do you oh, live? Yeah. How do you end up selling it? Like, what do you do? It's it's great storytelling potential. And, and one of the story seeds I had in the book is actually um, a group of commoners, kind of like a stand-by-me situation, but, you know, D&D, &D, of a <laughs> nice. group of commoners coming across <laughs> the body of a dead adventurer. And this guy has magical equipment that maybe they don't understand fully. He has tons of gold. He has a quest that's maybe super important, important enough that they feel maybe compelled to go on. Um, but just this idea of you're doing your thing and these insanely powerful magical beings or magic wielders kind of cross your path and maybe you pick up those pieces. Um, I think there's a lot of really, really great storytelling potential there. That's awesome. I, I would love to play in that story. And it, it even like with that coming across a dead body, like the idea of a commoner coming across a dead body is not with PCs. It may be a everyday thing, like walking into war zones and everything like that. Oh, yeah. But even the idea of you put that, whether it's a pitchfork or a sword in a commoner hand, 
and they have to kill an orc, like an orc or a goblin or even another person. Like it doesn't, I don't think it even matters what it is, but I don't think I've ever had a player at the table role play through a traumatic event of, I just killed something for the first time. I've never done yeah. that before. Oh, yeah. Like in a D&D game, it's, it's just kind of, that's what we do. We're here at the table to have adventures, tell stories, and to kill some yeah. stuff. But as a commoner, like you're not, you're not living. Maybe you're cutting off the heads of chickens, but that's very different than shoving a sword through the heart of another man. Oh yeah, like and that is a opportunity. And and I think the main thing that we're trying to say here is, as a DM, if you're running a game like this, make sure to emphasize that to your players, and don't move on and let them role play through these these moments that maybe we just take for granted when we're playing through role-playing games and let just let them realize this is crazy. You've never killed a man oh, yeah. before. You just did. How do you react oh, to that? Definitely. Definitely. Um, and, and the rules support that, right? Because when you go up in a fight, you're not going in there cocksure. Like you've done this a thousand times. You're going in there with the f- full knowledge that you might die. And yep. I, that cautiousness and that, that, uncertainty um that you know the rules uh, encourage um play right into this role playing of like this is new for you and this maybe isn't what you've been trained for or, mm-hmm. or what you were supposed to expect with your life but this is what's happening uh one thing i did want to talk to you guys about because i know it was a, a thing in one of your past episodes um actually included in the book is a 20th level commoner yes yeah we yep. saw that on yeah. the show notes and yep. we were like yes yeah <laughs> so it's it's an interesting question like what what the heck in a world is a 20th level commoner, right? Like, what, what is that supposed to mean? Like, are you just really, really good at, like, plowing, right? Like, you've been plowing for 15 years. You hit the ground yeah. and the ground plows yeah, you have itself. All, yeah, exactly, exactly. You don't even, you don't even hit the plow to up anything. You just kind of, like, gently blow on it, and it plows the entire field. You're that good. What a 20th level commoner represents, to me, is, again, someone who's been going out on adventures... And has somehow, um, through incredible skill and not a little bit of luck, has managed to survive and just accumulate just an obscene amount of wealth and experience, but they're still a commoner, right? They they still have yeah. kind of this, they're not exceptionally um, resilient to damage, they're not good with magic necessarily besides use magic device, they're just... Everything an ordinary person can do, that's what they do. They're just really, really good at it and really, really good at surviving. And I think what they would have, um, for lack of a better term, is just an insane amount of genre savvy, right? Like, they have been on adventures and they couldn't necessarily survive the adventures without blundering into the stupid traps. Like, they're never the guy who's going to reach their hand into the mouth of that statue, right? <laughs> they they nope. know exactly nope. what happens <laughs> oh, when yeah. people do that. Um you know, they, they just have been on so many adventures before. They've seen all these stories happen, like, a couple dozen times. They just already know. And I think having that outlook in a game world, you'd be pretty insane. Um, I mean, you'd just be, have been insane to go on this many adventures, but completely insane. Yeah. So the way I, I started the 20th level commoner is, of course, I looked at some ideas about, like, how to make them effective or whatever. But I just put together every dirty trick every insane paranoid thing a person could possibly do in the game and try to use it with this guy. Um, and it was a, it was a super fun exercise and I'm, I'm really fond of that character. His name's Felix Feckel. Yeah. There's some pretty, I mean, 
There's some pretty dirty tricks that this guy's got up his. Oh yeah, <laughs> both in both in life and in death. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And and to be honest, I could I would never expect the person to be anyone other than that, right? Like he's he's not a 20 right. level paladin. Yeah. Oh. Like the only the only way he's been able to survive is because he has cheated every way he possibly could as much as he could for dozens of years. Well, his picture even, I think, is perfect in the book of somebody that's like, eh, yeah, I've cheated my way to get here, you know? He just looks like the cheater guy that you would that you would picture. So he was a lot of fun. And, and like I said, he's a good example of this other thing that I wanted to do with the book a little bit of most of our talk has been, okay, let's talk commoner PCs and the cool stories you can do with those, what's interesting. But how do you make better NPCs? And how do you make interesting hazards yeah. for the PCs. Um, and and I think commoners are that sweet spot, right? Where, like we said, Felix Feckel has a ton of dirty tricks to him, right? Um, possibly to the point where people <laughs> might shake their fist at the GM. Like, come on. <laughs> but at the same time, he's a commoner. right? Even, even right. like, 10th level fighters, if they end up being in a stand-up fight with him, they have a pretty decent chance of taking him down one-on-one. So... It allows you to be very tactical and be very inventive as a GM, creating these these PC or the these NPCs and hazards, without your players potentially being like, no, that you're just you just you no, because um, no, yeah, oh oh, they they fight dirty, but that's because they have to. Like there's they literally have no other options. And if you yeah. get past their tricks, they'll go down like a sack of flour. Yeah, because you look at like I, I'm looking at his stats. They're not anything super spectacular, right. but he does have a ton of bag of tricks that if somebody wasn't to take care of him, he could be potentially dangerous right. to them. Yeah. And, and f- he's the most supreme example that I could do. And I'm sure there's some people out there who could take it even further. But the most supreme example I could do of like, okay, here here's what he actually can do. And here is the laundry list of his weaknesses, right? Here's all the ways that he can go down. So here's everything I can possibly do to compensate for those weaknesses. And, and again, I got to say, uh, it's really cool looking at, like, low-level items, um, and, like, your life depends on them, and really seeing, oh, okay, this is really good. Like, I got to say, um, amazing low-level items are just smokesticks, just to break up visibility and to have your characters have somewhere to get into, um, and, and just a different approach. Like, uh, what was it? Um, in a commoner game I was playing, something cast darkness, right? So now the PCs couldn't see. So what they did is they just lit a bunch of smokesticks. Um, so now the thing that was attacking them couldn't see. So it was just this like <laughs> that's awesome slapstick cluster <laughs> cluster mess of like okay well they couldn't see but no one else could see so they they kind of compensated for that advantage and it was really cool seeing them be inventive with with what they had with with looking at low level gear the other thing the other thing I want to mention I did in the book is a commoner village. <laughs> the most terrible threat they could ever encounter monsters are bad but the most horrible thing they could imagine is evil pcs right oh yeah yeah Yeah, we found this gold we we risked our lives going into a dungeon to get this gold and we can now save our town from whatever like it ailed and it's it's for the betterment of the little town and then the evil PCs oh, come yeah. to uh, because they were secretly looking for the same goal that was the in there. Bully, yeah. the, the bully, yeah, the bully PCs because they are. P- I mean, PCs are the most terrifying monsters in the game. They they kill everything else. Oh <laughs> yeah, uh, and and they have the most <laughs> options and they're the most versatile. Um, so 
one of my favorite things of, of trying to figure out how the heck would a commoner village... I mean, like, if it's orcs or kobolds, yeah, that's scary and terrifying. But how the heck would they defend themselves against evil PCs? Like that necromancer cleric? How yeah. the heck are they going to, like, stop that guy? So it was oh, really yeah. figuring out, uh, interesting figuring out uh, tactics on an individual PC level, but then tactics on a village level. Like, what can this village do? Longbows, mm-hmm. man. Longbows with, like, those feats that no one ever picks, like, <laughs> far shot or whatever. Because oh yeah, uh, yep. this also harkens back to what we were talking about earlier. Standard uh, approach is, here's the map, take it, right? And so if you uh, can shoot your bow 500 feet accurately... Who cares? You know, you'll never have a map situation where that works out. As a um, commoner, um, whether you're defending your village as an NPC or whether you're a PC, being able to shoot something several times before it can retaliate is huge. So, you know, I was I talk about things like very much sniper NPC commoners, right? Because they can get pretty good with a bow, and they just max out their range, and they're not they're not as good as like a ranger archer, but they're gonna get a couple sure. shots before the bad guys get yeah. to them. Um, of course, they know their terrain, like we were talking about earlier. They know their village better than everyone, so they have they know how to hide. They know all the ins and outs. Um, and the other thing too that I talk about, and then they have strategic reserves of couple couple alchemical items that compensate for their weaknesses. But the other big thing I talk about again, it's these dirty tricks that if you had a normal monster do it, the PCs would be like, "Come on." But commoners, um, a good example is <laughs> sundering. Um, uh, divine focus or material focus that they use for spell casting, because maybe you can't kill the guy, but if you break his holy symbol, you've vastly uh, decreased his combat effectiveness, and you've given your village a much better fighting <laughs> chance. Yep. So yeah, um, that was just some thoughts I had in writing the book. Um, of course, there's a lot more material in the book, but did you guys have any questions for me about the adequate commoner? Any ideas about commoners? I just want to point out, uh, since we're wrapping it up, uh, just one one thing that I really love, like one of one of my favorite things that I love from the book uh, that I saw was that you have this section called story feats, and you just have like these story feats that are related to like a commoner, and it's it's almost like this. A lot of them are something that you have worked into the commoner's background. Like you talked about the Stand by Me adventure, well, you have a story feat called body discovery and it's at first level commoner you must have discovered a body um, of an adventure and taken gear or gold and the benefits are you have a plus two to some adventuring related appraise and diplomacy checks and you gain a weapon and proficiency and weapon focus or skill focus and i think uh that it's just that to me is just so cool having feats uh in the in the book related to your commoners and related to your story to be able to add into the working with the backgrounds and i just think it helps with role playing and it just it's just a really interesting and you have a bunch of really cool story feats from that well thank you i really liked the the jobs descriptions that you had for some of these people like uh, every time I would read one, I would read, I would read it, and then I'd get to the proficiencies, and I would just laugh my head <laughs> off because it's like, like one, the failed apprentice, like this is hilarious. You get down to the proficiencies. All right, what is this guy good at? Well, he can't do magic, so he's proficient in throwing stones and one simple <laughs> weapon. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, that's awesome. Uh, 
<laughs> I want to play a yeah, failed and apprentice. Then you have That's like so surgeon good. barber, who's like a surgeon and a barber. <laughs> like I was just like, this is hilarious. He's good with kitchen knives and one simple weapon. <laughs> that guy is a guy that I want to get plenty of oh, sleep yeah. and know what yeah. he's doing but yeah, at the he's time. He's the guy that's run ragged because everybody needs haircuts and everybody needs surgery. So he's like, I just imagine he's like this sleep drunk guy who can never like do anything quite right. His stitching is um, really awful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, wanders right, drunkenly right. across someone's I, face. Yeah, right. Uh, and it, it wasn't even their face that they needed stitching. Exactly. Um, so I one the last section that I really liked is we talked about in the episode uh, in the meet specifically. We talked about like you have to think about your tactics, and I love how in the book you've given a whole chapter dedicated to tactics and setting up ambushes for people that are either coming against you in a, a forest or in a city or a dungeon or whatever. I thought that was genius because. People will see commoners and they're like, okay, commoners are awesome. Like, they're so much fun to play. But how do we actually play them? You know, how do we do this in a battle? And so I thought the tactics and ambush section towards the end was just absolutely genius uh, to add in there because it gives people a little bit of a, this is how you play, you know, commoners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Well, and a lot of that is just really making the players aware of the rules that often only GMs are aware of, right? Like uh, light levels, right? And what happens if you're in a certain amount of light versus what happens if you're in not a certain light, like a 20% mischance or a 50% mischance. Normally, players don't understand that because they don't really need to, right? The GM will tell them, oh, because it's dark, you're having trouble hitting. As commoners, if you understand that, you can use that to your advantage um, by how you arrange torches, by you know what kind of light your character is able to see versus your opponents. Um, so yeah, thank you. Um, I tried to show every possible way commoners could gain advantage. Well, and I one one other thing. This is just over the book as a whole. I've read parts of it and skimmed parts of it, and and I, I love the fact that there's so much humor uh, thrown into this thing <laughs> the whole way through. Like I didn't notice this the first time I read through, but in the tactics section, you have the part about not kicking a dragon in the nuts. <laughs> uh, when in doubt, kick it in the nuts. Remember, even dragons have nuts. You have a footnote that says, "Do not attempt to kick dragons in the nuts." <laughs> I was just like, "That's hilarious." Was, things like that are so funny that you added those in to the to yeah. the book yeah. itself. Oh, so, so well done, well done, oh, sir. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I yeah I had to include the humor, man. Oh Because yeah. you're commoners, right? Oh, like yes. the whole thing is gonna be funny the whole way through. It, it has is. to be. It is, and and if you aren't if you aren't willing to have a game where you occasionally laugh at your characters and laugh at the situation, probably the commoner game isn't for you, and and possibly most of D and D is gonna be a hard yep. fit because it ridiculous things happen. Well, and that's the part you're talking about cheating, like kicking people in the groin is considered cheating, but <laughs> reward that if you're doing a commoner campaign because exactly. that might have to happen at times. Yeah. You know, kicking a guy in the nuts is cheating, but also the fighter who's been training since he was six years old, <laughs> lifting, like, boulders, and practicing with a sword ten hours a day, that's cheating, too, right, compared to a commoner having to, like, plow the feed. Thank you both for what you said. Um, what you said, Mitch, about the story feats, and what you said, Chris, about the jobs, that's something that I really wanted to include in Inadequate Commoner, but whenever I do game design, is giving play options that are both like compelling and have that oh cool factor right like you get a cool advantage or you can do something really neat Mm -hmm. but also very much suggest character and very much suggest story and obviously that's most pronounced in the story feats but it's something i try to do with everything like this suggests a certain type of person doing this 
So that's all that we have for you today about commoners and just taking a closer look at J.M. Perkins' adequate commoner. Uh, J.M., if they would like to contact you and get in touch with you and tell you about uh, a commoner game that they ran or something that they uh, came up with as far as their level 20 commoner ideas, uh, where can they get in touch with you at? Oh, uh, easiest way is just john at jmperkins.com. It's my email. Um, of course, I'm on Twitter, although not as much as I should be, just at J.M. Perkins. Um, but it's all good. Uh, if you go to um, my website, jmperkins.com, I have links to everything I'm doing. Um, but yeah, just John at J.M. Perkins. And I would love to hear about your commoner games. Um, they are always very, very interesting. Um, very, very cool. And they can find the Adequate Commoner on your website? Uh, I have links for that. Um, probably the best way to learn more about the Adequate Commoner is www.adequateadventure.com. Because in addition to Adequate Commoner, I'm working on um, a book about the adepts and the other NPC classes, looking at kind of the interesting things we can do with them. Yeah, go check that out. Definitely pick up a copy. It is awesome, and you will not regret it. Uh, so, hey, JM, thanks for joining us again on the show. Thanks for talking about cats and commoners <laughs> and all the good stuff. <laughs> you thought it was going to be a commoner episode, but I, but I was... had my agenda of making it a cat episode. Yeah, it, it was about 50-50, I would say. So. <laughs> but, hey, thanks for coming on the show again. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is always a blast. And just as a final word, never forget cats. <laughs> hey, that's awesome. With that, <laughs> let's head over to the mailbag of holding. They have been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Welcome back to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, the place where we share ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener. We have an awesome email that we'd like to share with you today, and this email comes from GM Samuel, Game Master, because I play GURPS as well. <laughs> so uh, GM Samuel writes in and he says, Hello, DMs Block. I am a high school age DM. First of all, that's awesome. I have three little brothers. The youngest is a third grader. The older is the oldest is a seventh grader. I own D&D &D 4E, and then in parentheses he writes, I paid $5 for it. I would rather have fifth, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play D&D &D with my little brothers, but I encounter a few problems. The two younger brothers often get fixated on certain things. My youngest brother wanted to add an ability called Spinjitsu from a cartoon show that he watches. My second youngest brother got a race fixation on wanting to be a squirrel person. <laughs> they all have their fixations on pets, caring more about their dogs, cats, than they do about their characters. The youngest two don't really role play realistically at all, and the oldest may be able to, but I don't typically add role playing opportunities because I know they would be wasted. Every time I try to get them to do a quest, they get sidetracked, this causes a bent-out-of-shape and half-completed Sandbox campaign. I have come up with two things that I can do. One, I can let them play in a world where I let them implement anything they want. I believe that they would realize that having a world with no consistency is awful. This, of course, may backfire and end up with them liking the world. <laughs> Two, I can say, no D&D &D for a year. You guys are not mature enough. Uh, this is, of course, going to be boring for an entire year, but I don't have any fun playing D&D &D with them right now, so we could spend time doing something else that is fun for younger players 
for example, Munchkin. <laughs> so that is uh, the email from Samuel. Uh, Chris, any thoughts on that? Yeah, play a commoner campaign. You can do all of that <laughs> stuff, and it's perfectly normal. <laughs> like, people are obsessed with their pets, and I'm I'm semi-joking, and I'm semi-not at the same time. Like, I feel like that could be a lot of fun for them, uh, because they, do, like, they may not have the maturity to fully understand, like, why is this dragon attacking the town? Why do we have to go and kill this town? I like my dog better because my dog is sitting right next to me in real life. Well, maybe if they're playing a commoner campaign, they can do such a thing. They can be like, I'm petting the dog in real life, but I'm also petting the dog in a commoner world. I think that's one thing that you could do. I think one thing, and I, I, I've, tried to, I've tried to do this in any sort of situation that I've been in. Um, like I did youth ministry for a while, so I would always find like high school kids who would be able to mentor the younger kids. And so maybe, you know, you have, you find somebody else to play in your game who's maybe the same age as you, who can give them a little bit more direction as far, basically leading by example and saying, all right, my friend Brian here, who's a 10th grader, knows how to play the game. He can think about it a little bit more in depth. And maybe he can, if you talk with them beforehand, can lead them in such a way uh, that, helps them better understand what's going on as far as role-playing. So I think that's two things I would say. Uh, Munchkin is fun too, but <laughs> I don't know if that's a, an adequate equivalent to D&D, but that could be that could be something that you, you know, maybe you do some role-playing as you're going through playing a Munchkin game for a while, and you use that as an example before you go back and play D&D. So that's, that's some of the things that I think of uh, when I when I hear this email for me I think that first of all I just think it's really awesome that one uh, as a high school uh, age person you're playing D&D you're DMing and that you're allowing your younger brothers to play with you um, because I think that you're raising them up in the way that they should go. <laughs> like you're teaching them the important things in life, role-playing games, right? <laughs> Even if at times it can be frustrated, you deserve a pat on the back for uh, doing that. And so a couple pieces of advice that I would give, I, I would say absolutely Chris is right in having somebody else to like help you to encourage them. And I think if your seventh grade uh, brother is uh, able to role-play, then allow him to like ask him for help like hey can you help me to be able to show the two younger guys how to role play and like have him be able to come alongside with you and encourage them with you maybe if they are fixated on animals and pets uh you could do a campaign where they actually are animals <laughs> rather than people there you go uh you could do narnia style where they can still talk but like maybe it's like a we need to protect the forest kind of campaign and maybe the bat you flip it on its head and maybe the bad guys are um are npc humans like maybe it's a your animals of the woods fighting lumberjacks campaign <laughs> <There you laughs> that'd go. be cool uh but in general like maybe it maybe the fact that they want to do these cartoony like things just speaks to the fact that they're looking for a little bit more goofy rather than serious campaign and i mean you can do one of two things you can get really frustrated with that and like rage quit um or you can just grab onto that and say hey you know what dnd is supposed to be fun so you know what? Let's do a cartoony style adventure. Let's do something like Adventure Time. Let's sure. let's have fun with it. Maybe let let them let them play out of the box and realize that now your NPCs and your enemies will be able to do the same kind of goofy, ridiculous stuff that they want to do. Uh, there's also games such as uh, No Thank You Evil, a new game from Monty Cook Games that you can check out. That's 
focused for younger players. That might be something you want to look into. And and yeah, I don't think if you if it is getting to the point where you're just kind of frustrated, frustrated with the situation. Hey, it's OK to take a step back, take a break and and play some munchkin. But I, I do not think that yelling and screaming and, and telling uh, them that they are not mature enough. Like you said, I think it's going to end up with a really boring year for you, and yeah. um, it's it's not going to encourage them to role play as well. I think always positive enforcement is going to work better. So when they do those role playing uh, moments, like and they do it well, like in, enforce that with encouragement and teach them. Like you are, you're their older brother, uh, and so you you know what role playing is. So teach them, teach them, and it may yeah. be difficult, but teach them how to role play and help. Uh, <laughs> I just had like <laughs> we totally need to put in the teach them how to Dougie music in here right now. <laughs> teach them how to role play. Teach them, teach them how to role play. <laughs> teach them how to dungeon master. Teach them, teach them how to dungeon master. But yeah, like use it as an opportunity to teach them and to help them grow. And when when they do start role playing, you can look at that and be like, man, like it's pretty cool like the point that they were at and now they're doing this so just be encouraging um but know that what you're doing is really awesome teaching your brothers to grow up to be role players it's really awesome let's pass it over to dm neil with this week's dmnastics welcome back to dmnastics the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds hi i'm sean and i'm from tribality.com and i'm joined today by dm neil aka joke maniac so for this one, we were going to tie it back to episode number 36, Reservoir Blink Dogs. And as you guys can imagine, the guest for that episode was Sean from Tribality.com. We also tied it back to Diamnastics number 18 called The Usual Suspects. So if you guys want to go get more information about either of these things, you can head to those. I'll toss it back to Sean to kind of give a little breakdown of the episode and what you need for a heist. Yeah, so back on Reservoir Blink Dogs and in a uh, article that I wrote a little bit before my appearance as a guest on the uh, DM block was, uh, you know, kind of going through what you need to go and run a heist. Well, I'm not going to go into super detail because you can listen to the podcast or, you know, read the article, but just the basics. You want to provide something to steal. Two, you want to have an exotic location. Three, you want to have a nemesis for your players to hate. Four, you want to provide lots of challenging obstacles to overcome with planning and five kind of an essential piece to get the flavor of a heist you want to have some plot twists so what we've done today is we are going to look at a crew who is going to overcome these obstacles and survive the plot twists defeat the nemesis at an exotic location and steal something see i just reversed that <laughs> <laughs> that's the easiest way to learn it say it and then just say it backwards a different way so like when i throw it back to neil and you can take us through the crew and you know what was going on on Diamnastics number 18. So for Diamnastics number 18, as mentioned, we proposed essentially those exact five things as kind of to set up the crew you would need. And then we had people list off a bunch of different crew members. So the first one we'll do is from DM Never. And the crew member is named Moshi Whispers Delatar. And it's a human wizard, dubious fashion taste. So, you mean that eccentric wizard that's always got the nicest things and full of crass humor, but one of the best illusionists ever to lend his skills. So that's kind of the, the skill set that this person will bring to a 
heist crew, which I think could be invaluable. I mean, if the crew can look like the people that are supposed to be where they are, it's hard to knock that. And if you're looking at a modern equivalent, you know, I love to go and say, uh, you know, whether it's Rocky Talkies or anything else, it's what's the modern equivalent. Most heist movies have that kind of hacker guy, uh, safe cracker guy, whatever. Sometimes that's more on the rogue side. But if you're looking at something that's more on the equivalent to what like technology would be, well, you can kind of turn that technology into magic. And that's where Wizards really cool. Because, you know, they're the guys who can put the guard dog to sleep or get through this magical uh, lock or, or all the other stuff. You know, they're your hacker, if you want to call them that. Yeah, the, and it makes me, like you said, the modern day equivalent makes me think of those, cra- the crazy mask that every spy seems to have and that they can change into anybody that they want to. Yeah, and the, the illusionist is even better because, yeah, that brings in something that you can either have it handled by a bard or you can have it handled by... Uh, an illusionist where you know they're able to impersonate people and whatever else and that's that especially mission impossible type stuff tom cruise always pulling off those masks so for the next one it was from almaria knight and his crew member was named squeak to squeak essentially this is the other reason that you might want a magic user and squeak is a half crazed sorcerer auburn furred mouseling so Throwing a little interesting twist in there. And he was, oh yeah, five years old when he realized he had an affinity to the elements. And essentially all throughout his training, he just constantly blew stuff up. And every time he would set something on fire, he would squeak. And that's how he got his nickname. And essentially you're bringing in the glass cannon for when that's necessary. (laughs) And uh, five years old, that was probably what, middle-aged for him? (laughs) Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, because the the mouseling class uh, ages pretty... uh, hits maturity pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, or whatever, maybe not middle age, but probably adolescence. So this goes to the whole, the safe cracker or the person who's going to go and bomb through walls or whatever, that kind of side of the, uh, the magic uh, user class. So for the next one, we have Tesla Rangers crew member, and he has specifically said that this guy was a demo expert. So I could see some interesting conflict of ideas between Squeak and Brumber who is a battle-scarred, one-eyed dwarf, never seen without a sooty tobacco pipe clinched tight behind his grizzled beard. A veteran of many wars, he's a wizard, technically he's a rogue, when it comes to all manners of things that go boom. So kind of like that tech-based rogue, but specifically tailored to explosives. Yeah, I mean, assuming that they're a magic user slash rogue, they're going to probably be good at using devices and, you know, making things go boom, cracking safes, vaults, all that kind of thing. So we'll go into what the scenario is after we get through the team, but you'll see why where this, this crew is really heavy on being able to crack stuff versus having, you know, a bunch of acrobats or having a bunch of people that can be used as, as face men or women. And did you want to go into the last one? Oh, the last two, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So the one I did real quick was actually based, I had been reading a book, The Lazy Dungeon Master, and the advice it had given was taking things in popular culture and just tailoring them into your Dungeons and Dragons world. So I have Ronan McShane. He's a 70-year-old human who's forgotten more battles than most people will even hear about in their lifetime. He moves with a slow purpose and looks half asleep, but has an air to not be trifled with. Essentially, it was taking the idea of Mike Ehrmantraut from Breaking Bad and making him into my Dungeons and Dragons kind of world. A useful guy to have around, you know, whether you're selling chicken or cracking into a vault. I think uh, that sounds like a pretty good match. (laughs) The last one was from Sean, and it is Selene Kinski, a half-elk rogue thief slash bard with the entertainer background, which 
first off, it makes a ton of sense to have someone with that kind of skill set, given the lack of that skill set thus far. So she's a 24-year-old half-elf cat burglar who's a jack-of-all-trades who is in it as much for getting paid as just the thrill of the adventure of the heist. And she's well-trained in acrobatics and the performing arts from growing up as a member of a traveling troupe. So she's basically a Catwoman carny, which is cool. Awesome. And, uh, you know, really, she's not going to sit there and be playing on a guitar or flute or whatever in the middle of the heist. But, you know, if, if anyone comes along, uh, you know, she can be, be used to talk them or persuade them. But, you know, even more importantly, if you need any second story work, she's really good for that. So she's been more useful on other heists. This maybe isn't her target, but you, know, you bring her on just because she'd be a useful person to have. And her name is kind of a mix of every possible Catwoman, whether it's the actress's names or the names of the characters. That's awesome. So why don't you talk about the the actual target? What are we? What are they going for? Okay, so the for the heist, it was essentially each person while they introduced their crew member, they would also tackle an aspect of the heist that these crew members would be going on. So the target is the Tear of Aldrazal. It's essentially the single largest cut diamond in the entire world. The people that are protecting it, it's held within the vault, which is a dwarven stronghold. The building itself is extremely well-guarded mine shaft that leads downward into the vault and opens onto a dwarven labyrinth built with the help of minotaurs. I think there is definitely your obstacle area. And the first guard type, it's a specialized type of creature that was created on the DMs block forums called a Wang Doodle, and it's essentially a different version of like the Modron. So there's a fleet of those running around. The second guard type is as dwarves are prone to do. They delved too deep and essentially a path into a group of Nothics was opened up. And so the Nothics are inhabiting the areas that are surrounding the vault. So the good thing about having your half-elf bard, Rogue in this case, is that being a half-elf, she's going to have pretty decent resistance to the Nothics. So that might be someone who can go and operate a little bit better there than some of the less fey-inclined members of the uh, crew. Yeah, so that's pretty much it. I mean, there was kind of some ideas about the infiltration method. And in my head, I just envisioned the crew having to get through somewhat of a dwarven outpost and then get to this gigantic mineshaft to get down at the bottom to then have to go through this labyrinth and finally get the diamond. The best way to get through a labyrinth with this crew is to uh, blast holes through it. <laughs> yes, yes, the the uh, five-year-old maze mentality. You're like, here, kid, how do you get through this maze? And they just grab a crayon, draw from the start to the finish, and then say, I did it. I think that that is definitely the plan in, in, with this crew. Um, you know, as they're sitting around the table and they have, like, the map of the labyrinth out, I think, you know, your mouse... And you know, your dwarf there just drawing a line straight through. Nice. Just like the kid with a crayon. And, uh, you know, each of those, each time that the line hits a wall, they figure out who's going to put the bomb where pretty much. I like, I can just see, yeah, like where you're having these, you know, arguments between the two of them, potentially just like flipping a coin, who gets to blow up the next wall. So the rogue, the rogue uh, bard, she'll be sitting up on a, on a desk or whatever on the other side of the room, spinning a knife, pretending she's not listening come in, stab like the map right in the middle with her knife and saying they forgot about this. Or, you know, the old guy could be doing, one of the uh, more experienced guys could be doing that too as the uh, the younger bombers are arguing. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, you can just see that scene. They're just constantly arguing about how to get through the labyrinth. And then, like you said, either the rogue or the old grizzled veteran says, that's fine. But how in the world are we going to get to the labyrinth in the first place? We have to go through this dwarven outpost in this huge mine shaft full of Nothics. And that's when the, uh, yeah, maybe the bard goes and shows her poison darts or whatever she found. She procured in a, re- in a recent job. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. And you could have the illusionist essentially come up with the idea that like I can get us through. Given the background of the character, he seems like the kind of confident, crass and person that would just be like, oh, don't worry. There's no way these idiot dwarves ensuing a hilarious look from the dwarf in the party would be able to tell who we actually are. So, you know, we're not we're not sitting here playing this or whatever. But I mean, with the DM kind of having an idea and giving the map, whether you're live and you unroll it. Or whether you're sitting online and you drop it onto the uh, online tabletop, you know, you put that map up and, you know, let the fur fly and see what your group can do. Whether it's in an ongoing campaign, whether it's in a one shot, it can work out pretty well. And I mean, it can be a pretty good bottle episode too. Maybe a couple of people are away and you're down to three guys or, you know, four people when you normally have five and, you know, you have an important plot going on. Someone's gone for a couple of weeks or, or a session, uh, throw this in. Well, it's like you said in the episode, one of the bigger takeaways that I personally had was that the difference between a burglary and a heist is the amount of planning and how important that is to really set the scene of a heist. Yeah, and just us talking here for a couple minutes, how entertaining this group of characters could be in character talking to each other about trying to figure out how to go into this heist scenario. Yeah, it's it, like you said, it's easy to imagine the scene. Yeah, so there you go. There's your uh, recap of a few recent things. And, you know, bring on the heist. And, you know, anybody who runs one, let us uh, let us all know. I, I know I check the forum from time to time on any of the uh, places that I uh, did a guest spot on to see if anybody has anything to say or any questions. So definitely drop your uh, ideas in there. Drop your uh, recaps of how things went as a player or a DM and let us know for sure. So speaking of which, where can people find you and your ideas? Whether I'm talking about heists or anything to make your game more memorable. You can find me at tribality.com. That's T-R-I-B-A-L-I-T-Y.com. Hopefully I spelled that right. <laughs> you, d- you did. And that plug is for the five DM block people that aren't already going to tribality.com. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, we try to mention you guys and get people pushed over here because, uh, you know, we don't, we're not planning on doing a podcast anytime soon. We'll leave it to, to this crew. But yeah, like we're posting every day. We have uh, five columns and we're trying to you know, bring in guest spots on the weekend and, you know, news as it comes in. Mostly fifth edition stuff seems to be the, the biggest draw these days. But uh, yeah, news as it comes in, we, we post as well. And, you know, that's, that's a good place to go and check out most stuff once, twice, five times a day, whatever you want. Awesome. <laughs> it's like, it's a labyrinth of content. There you are. Does that even make sense? <laughs> nice. And I know for me personally, I just have the RSS feed go to my phone. Uh, and if you guys want to get more involved with the DMnastics and the discussions that happen on the forum, just head over to dungeonmasterblock.freeforums.net and try some DMnastics. So your players don't ask, do you even lift? I gotta get a pop. That's it. Good. It hurts. I know it does. That's it. Get it. Well, that's all that we have for you today on the Dungeon Masters block. We hope that you have an en- enjoyed this talk about commoners, cats, and tripping halflings. Uh, we just once again thank JM for being on our podcast and being able to share all of his wealth of knowledge with us. So as we close out the show, Chris, if any of our listeners would like to contact us, write in, tell us stories, 
give us something for our mailbag of holding maybe where can they contact us at yeah you can contact us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com send us in all of your commoner stories whether it was somebody you played or just a cool commoner that you added into your game in some way we would love to hear about it if you wouldn't mind go and leave us a five star review uh, because that's what we as commoners do in our world we leave five star reviews so go ahead and leave us one there it'll help us grow and help other commoners like you be able to listen to our podcast and you can also find us on stitcher as well you can follow us on twitter at dms underscore block that's at dms block you can like our facebook page both of those places have fantastic memes and news about our show and dungeon mastering in general we have a patreon member shout out of the week and this week's patreon member shout out is bobby may thank you very much bobby may for being a supporter of us bobby may is a silver dragon so fear (laughs) those silver dragons oh yeah they're starting to climb in popularity up there i think they're tied uh for i I think they're tied with the platinum dragon so uh there we go is there gonna be a like uh dragon war going oh could we could we make something like that (laughs) could we brainstorm something for some sort of maybe we shall see we We shall see see. that'd be kind of (laughs) cool So that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. I kind of want to say killing all the commoners. (laughs) All right, say it right now. Killing all the commoners. I'm totally going to just add that at the end. (laughs) No, no, no. Here we go. Here we go. Tripping all the halflings. (laughs) All right. For real. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.